Oh, man. Well, this week has been a big week. You know, I mean, on Friday, of course, we had all the great stuff happen with our church. And even as that was going on, of course, we had the inauguration of a new president with, with his administration. And as I was comparing, you know, all of the boo-hooing on the left and the celebrating on the right and, you know, CNN posting pictures, well, Barack Obama's uh, inauguration had this big of a crowd. I mean, I was reminded of all the games that world leader politic type people play. And I was further reminded of all these slogans. You know how every campaign has a slogan. I mean, you, you have to have a slogan, I guess. Um, leaders desperately want the people they would lead to feel that they care about them. Everyone does. I remember being in Germany. You could go see old world, pre-World War II stuff. The Nazis had all sorts of propaganda showing them caring for you know, the poor German folk. And of course, who can forget? Who can forget those iconic images of Joseph Stalin holding kids, you know, smiling, Papa Joe? Leaders love to paint themselves as caring about the people. Caesar was no different. You know, he's famous holding circuses and carnivals and games, throwing food to the starving masses. Oh, I care about you. But yet, I think deep down many of us question or would say we cynically know, do they really care? Does Caesar really care about the problems of the average Roman citizen? Did Hitler really care about the concerns of the average German? Did FDR really care? We don't know. We do know that we live in a world where we're made to feel like we're just a cog in a machine. Come to work, pay your taxes, get in line, do your thing, stay out of trouble, stay out of people's business, and do your thing, and people leave you alone. And in the midst of all this, we can sometimes question, how significant am I? Do, are we really cared for? Are we really cared about? And even when we come to church, we hear God loves you. We hear it. And we know what the Bible says, that he sent his only son, and that's the supreme example of his love, and it is. But we can sometimes question, hey, God's got this big cosmic thing going on. He's got this big plan for all of creation. Does he really care about my problems? Does he? Am I, am I just a little brick in the wall? Am I just a little piece of the puzzle that's not really that important? I believe this passage is here, and it's here in Mark's gospel this way, because he wants you to understand right off the bat that Jesus is one in whom you can trust because he cares for you. Many years later, an old apostle Peter is writing before he's dead, before he's killed, and he writes in 1 Peter 5-7, those famous words, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And I'm convinced that old man Peter, 
as he was writing those words in his prison cell, was thinking back to examples and situations like this, where Jesus demonstrates his concern for ordinary folk. He cares for you. Now, in this episode here, we see Jesus work three miracles. He feeds the 5,000, which we've already said is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. He walks on water. And, of course, he heals people in Gesenaret with, with, by, by letting them touch even the hem of his garment, and they're healed. Okay, three miracles. Three expressions of his divinity, of his deity. And each one of these, we see a, a, a miraculous thing going on, and we can sometimes become kind of numb to the degree of, of, of power this shows. Oh, it's Jesus. Of course he's going to feed 5,000 people. And we sometimes wonder why they're so amazed. Well, if you think about it, okay, Jesus wasn't the only exorcist in the day. Uh, maybe when he calmed the storm, it was a coincidence. But, but feeding the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, that ramps it up to a whole new level. That's creating matter. And Jesus walking on the water? I mean, that is suspending the laws of physics. Now, I got tired of reading these leftist theologians, biblical scholars. Oh, what, what really happened here, and this is classic early 20th century liberalism. What really happened here was an ethical miracle when the disciples pulled out their loaves. It so inspired the general humanity and goodwill amongst all those folks that they themselves pulled out their loaves and they had a big communal feast. Ethical miracles, what they say. Absurd. And then you should hear what they have to say about Jesus walking on the water. Oh, there, was, there must have been a, sub, a, a barely submerged sandbar or, or perhaps they were just along the coast and he was... But the point is, is he was waiting. And because it's, it, it seems inconceivable that they would have actually thought he was a ghost. Are, are, are you kidding me? Do, do you know what the fourth watch of the... It's like in the middle of the night. Have you ever been out on open water in the middle of the night? It's dark. And if there's a windstorm, and if, even if you have a lantern on your boat, I mean, and you see some human figure coming... These people, I mean, I just want to, are you kidding me? They're too smart for their own good. So Jesus expresses his divinity and his deity in these three episodes. And I think most clearly he does it when he walks on the water by what he says. We're very familiar with the book of John and all of the I am sayings of Jesus, where he, in seven different places, makes an I am statement, tying himself to Yahweh, identifying himself as the God who is the object of the worship of the Jews. And perhaps most audaciously, we have in John 8, 57, where, uh, where Jesus is talking with the religious leaders about how if they really were of the same spirit as Abraham, their father, that they would believe in him because Abraham delighted to see my day. He rejoiced to see my day, and they scoff. 
Remember they say, you're not even 50 years old and you claim to have seen Abraham? And you know what? Remember Jesus' response? Before Abraham was, I am. And what do they do? What do you mean by that? No. They knew exactly what he meant, which is why they pick up stones to try to kill him. Which is another thing. There's all these historical Jesus folks who want to say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, his, his contemporaries sure thought he did. His enemies sure thought he did. Okay, in the Greek language, there are three ways to address your, to refer to yourself in the first person. There's the word ego, which we've, thanks to Freud, we call ego, to refer to the self. There's the, there's the pre, uh, preposition me, which could also be used to refer to yourself in the first person. But whenever you want to be really reflexive and forceful, you combine the two, ego, me. And that's the construction that's used whenever there's an I am statement. In the Septuagint, whenever God is referring to himself, it's ego, me, like that. Okay, Which is why when Jesus says it, they know exactly what he's saying. Now when Jesus is walking across the water, and they're terrified, they think they're seeing a ghost. In the Greek, here's what it says. Take courage. Ego, amy. Do not be afraid. He right there asserts the I am. Don't be afraid. I am. There's a storm. They're terrified. Jesus is the creator of the universe. You see me walking on the water. I am literally the one who holds the laws of physics in my hand. I am with you. So Jesus expresses his deity in three ways. And he wants you to know that he does it to communicate that you can trust him because he cares. He's not just simply trying to wow you. Now, I think there are four ways that Jesus reveals that he cares about you. The first is that Jesus calls you to service, not suicide. Jesus cares about you. You see this in verse 30 and 31 and then in 46 where Jesus, they've just come back from a mission trip and he says, come away, you need to rest a while. And then after he feeds the 5,000, he goes off himself to pray. He cares about you. When Jesus called you into service, he did not put you on the church's equivalent of the Baton Death March. But there are some of you sitting out there that act like you're on that. It's true that in our modern age, some people just hardly want to work at all. But there are some who think that you're not doing the Lord's work unless you are burning the candle at both ends. Jesus wants you to engage in self-care. He's a gracious Lord. He does not demand that you kill yourself to serve. I hope that some of you will look at your lives and say, 
And ask yourselves, am I serving out of my strength? Or am I long since depleted? Maybe what some of you need to do is listen to Jesus and come away and rest a while. All right? Don't think that by killing yourself, you're proving a point to Jesus. Because Jesus was smart enough to go rest for a while. All right? He cares for you. He doesn't call you to suicide. Second, you can know that Jesus cares about you because he's willing to be distracted by you. Sometimes I get so busy, like this morning, I was, I was lost in my thoughts preparing to, for sure. Daniel was trying to talk to me. Not now. Do you ever feel like God's that way with you? Not now. Do you ever feel like God's not listening or paying attention or whatever? Jesus is willing to be distracted by you. Twice we see it in this passage where what he's planning on doing gets changed by the needs of the people he cares about. I think it's interesting that Mark records that Jesus' intention was to pass them by. He's the only one who points that out. That Jesus intended to pass them by. But they were afraid. And Jesus was willing to interrupt his plan to stop and calm their fears. He wanted some rest, but these people desperately, he, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he took a little moment out to teach them. So you and your problems and your burdens, you're not, you're not a, distra- a disruption to God. He's willing to be distracted by you. Okay? So come to him when you have your needs. Again, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Third, he cares about your material needs. He wants these people to be fed. Now, I am hard enough, or I don't know, conservative enough, you call it what you will, but I believe in personal responsibility. And so I, if I had been there, would have been tempted to say, people, your failure to plan does not constitute an emergency on mine. Aren't we all like that? You know, no one caught, I, mean, I didn't make you run, drop what you're doing and run to me. I mean, you did that. It's your fault you didn't bring lunch. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus isn't like that? He cares about your mat- They wouldn't have died had he not fed them. They would have just been hungry. But he cared about their material needs. And so he provided for them. He used his deity to create food so that they could be satisfied. Now listen to me right now. Some of you may have experienced something that makes you think God doesn't care about your material needs. He does. And I can bet that if you look back, you may have gone through some time where there was some tightening of the belt literally or figuratively, but God always provides. He takes care of his people. We may have a hissy fit, 
because we think that God isn't providing to the degree or the type or extent that we think it should be provided for, but he doesn't leave his people high and dry. He cares about your material needs, whether it's through employment, through the gifts or the generosity or the benevolence of others or the church, he provides for his people. He cares for you. He cares about your material needs. I think Jesus says something about that, doesn't he? About, about how even Solomon wasn't dressed like one of these flowers and, and how the, you know, am I, am I crazy? Doesn't Jesus say something about God knows what we need and he, I, I think it's in the Bible somewhere, May, maybe in Matthew? I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. But even more than just caring about our physical needs, he cares about our emotions. Think of how awesome it would have been from one vantage point if Jesus had stood there on the sea and like, you know, he could have, you know, oh, and you know, reduced these people in the boat to quivering, you know, slugs in the bottom of the boat. They could have just been, oh, and just, you know, he could have, oh, and he levitated off the water and really, really had a light show going on. Instead, he diverts his plan because they're afraid. And he calms their fears. I am. Do not be afraid. You may be feeling something. You may be nervous, anxious, tense, excited, sad. Cast your cares on him, including what you're feeling. He doesn't want his children going through life miserably. So, when you come to Jesus, you're coming to someone who truly cares. He's not just posturing so that way you'll vote for him or not uprise against him. He's someone who reveals his deity, exhibits his power to communicate that you personally, individually, matter to him. You are precious in his sight. And so come to Jesus with all of your cares, your, 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 your problems with your money, your health, your relationships, your dreams, your aspirations, your disappointment. Come to him and lay it all at his feet because he cares for you. He cares. And of course, he demonstrated his care by breaking his body and shedding his blood, which we will celebrate. And he hung on a cross, thereby disarming all the powers that were against us, abolishing all the rules and regulations that were against us. He cleansed us of our sin. He paid our debt. That's how much he cares. So all these other things, those are small potatoes by comparison. But they're real potatoes, aren't they? So cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Let's pray.